You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 2 Sid stood at the cafeteria entrance and scanned the room. Her friend Joss was fairly easy to find. She had aerial red dreadlocks coiled into a foot-high bun. Her skin was more tattooed than not. Joss's friends with similar styles surrounded her. She spotted Sid and waved her over. Hey, Sid Vicious. Long time no see. You hanging out? Sid looked over her shoulder. Actually, you need something? Sid slid a couple rolled up tens under Joss's leg. That stuff going on out there rattles my nerves. Joss patted Sid's leg. Got just the thing. Think four will do it. Sid nodded and took the baggie. You can't sit for a while? Joss asked, with a slight hint of accusation. I haven't seen you much. Sid rubbed Joss's knee. That's what's cool about us. We always pick up where we left off. And that was where exactly? I know. She couldn't quite remember herself. Coffee later? Really? I assumed you'd be with Ben later. Yeah, I meant later this week. Joss rolled her eyes. Hose before bros. Always, Sid lied. She wouldn't make excuses for wanting to be with Ben all the time. No one understood her like Ben did. She didn't invest the last nine months building their relationship to have her friends pick it apart. Shouldn't you be doing this in a more private location? Sid whispered to Joss, gesturing to the three-story glass windows of the cafeteria, where outside the surveillance drones generally floated around, spying on their campus. Then she realized no surveillance drones were in the sky. Weird. Where are the drones today? Joss sipped bitter piping hot coffee from a flimsy paper cup. Damn, they don't even have those little sleeve thingies for my coffee anymore. Burning my fingers off. Sid spun around, quickly scanning the room with worried eyes. Where are the guards? There isn't one armed guard anywhere. Joss tugged Sid's shirt. Why don't you take one of those and feel better? The guards, the drones, they're around, doll. They're not going anywhere. Sid exhaled. Joss was probably right. Sorry, Sid said, smiling. I had two coffees myself this morning. She thanked Joss and left the cafeteria, then ducked into the ladies' room. She stood in a stall, swallowing her pill with a swig from her water bottle. Then the whole world exploded into darkness. Sid opened her eyes but saw nothing. Something quite heavy was over her. The bathroom stall, she thought, which luckily wasn't pinning her down. She slithered from underneath it and stood, chunks of plaster and ceiling tile falling from her clothes. She dusted herself off and gently wiped dust from her eyes. Her hair was wet with a warm substance. She touched it again. 
It was pitch dark, but she could tell it was blood. Sid heard screaming and shouting from the cafeteria. Glass shattered and metal groaned. She used all her might to thrust open the bathroom door because of some heavy debris on the other side. What she saw in the cafeteria amid a cloud of dust was a scene right out of any war movie. She instinctively wrapped her scarf around her nose. The hundred or so people in the cafeteria who hadn't been crushed by the falling walls or impaled by shards of glass from the three-story windows lay on the floor, seizing and foaming from the mouth. A fire burned just beyond the cafeteria windows where a lunch vendor truck had been parked. Smoke poured into the building, making it almost impossible to see. She spotted Joss's flaming red hair about 10 feet from her tattooed body. The bodies on the floor robotically turned their heads towards Sid, following the sound of her scream. She took a quick inventory of herself. There was no panic. She realized she was uncharacteristically calm, numb even. She once read that before a tsunami, the shoreline would sometimes recede up to a mile, exposing the seafloor like a warning of impending doom. This numbness, the receding of her panic, meant her tsunami wave was building and it would likely be catastrophic. Intuitively, Sid backed out of the cafeteria and raced up the stairwell two and three steps at a time, grateful they were still intact. She reached the third floor and took the sky bridge to the Feral building, which would take her even farther from Ben. A few cracked windows dotted the sky bridge, but the structure seemed sound. She stopped to catch her breath and saw other students running here and there. An older man stopped and put his hand on her back. Are you okay? You're bleeding. She shook her head. I I'm good. What the hell happened? Those people in the cafeteria, they were... In one breathless sentence, he said, Dirty bomb. It's having some kind of effect on the victims. You've got to come with me. Oh my God, my boyfriend, he's in Connery Hall. I have to get him. Sid started to run past the man, but he grabbed her and spun her around. You can't go outside. We've been hit with a biowarfare agent. Look! He pointed to the people below. Some lay on their backs, seizing. But some had stood and were walking in an eerie, unearthly way. The police, in full hazmat gear, were gathering the walkers and loading them onto vehicles. Sid's shoreline of panic receded a bit further as she retrieved her phone. Ben thinks I'm in class. What if he's hurt? She pushed Ben's speed dial number, but there was no signal. The fire in the truck seemed to be burning out. A fine white dust fogged the air and settled on the surfaces. Some were gathering in a group at the tower in the center of the student square. Are they sleepwalking? She asked. It wasn't making sense in her brain. More military trucks arrived, and soldiers in protective suits and masks hopped off. From elsewhere in the square, the guards lined up more sleepwalkers to board the trucks like cattle. We're in trouble, the man said to Sid. Big. Trucks arrived by the dozens, and more armed soldiers disembarked. They scattered like SWAT and entered buildings. 
We've got to hide, the man said, and they were off and running. Hide? From the military? Why? She cried out, trying to keep up with him. They're here to help. He shook his head. I don't think so. The man dragged her to the fifth floor and into a laboratory. He quickly locked the main door and pushed Sid into an equipment room full of pumps, compressors, and refrigerators. Five pairs of eyes watched them from the corner of the equipment room, cowering together in fear. I'm Gil, the man said to them. I know some of you. You're in my environmental science class. This is Sidney Trainer. Sid. Gil ushered her toward the others and rummaged through the supplies. He found some plastic sheeting and duct tape and promptly taped up the door. Looks like we're dealing with a dirty bomb of some sort, which seems to render victims... Uh, I don't know. He ruffled his own hair. I don't know. We need to seal ourselves in. For the time being, until we know what we're dealing with, Gil said. Two athletic-looking guys leaped from the corner to help pull strands of tape. Sid resisted. I can't. I can't stay in here. I have to find my boyfriend. The tsunami rolled towards the shore. Muffled sobbing distracted her and she searched for the source. The only other girl in the room eyed Sid, her mascara running in giant black drops. Even with the Xanax in her bloodstream, Sid's scalp tingled. You can't lock me in here. I'll freak. No one is locking you in anywhere. You're free to do as you wish, Gil said gently. But I'm afraid if you don't... She can't leave now, one of them argued. She'll jeopardize us all. Gil gently led Sid to the window. Soldiers had loaded the last of the sleepwalking students onto the trucks when another student bolted from the Farrell building to cross the campus. A soldier quickly turned, fired something at the student, then retrieved and dragged his unconscious body onto the truck with the others. It's not safe, he said. Did you see that? She gasped. Why would they do that? Gil ushered her away and gestured for one of the guys to seal the window. I'm not sure what's going on, he said quietly. But they'll search the building, so we must keep quiet. They huddled in the corner covered themselves with sheets of dark plastic, and waited. They heard men shouting, maybe three or four men getting closer and closer, until their footfalls were right on the other side of the wall. The laboratory door opened and the soldiers entered, toppling desks and tables. Said Tsunami gained intensity. It took everything she had not to burst from the supply room and scream, Take me already! I don't care! The suspense was just too much. Her lungs refused to do their job. Their footsteps moved closer. A single beep pierced the silence of the closet under their plastic cover. Then another, and another. The group frantically looked at each other for the source. One of the guys scrambled under another's shirt as they tried to disconnect wires and quiet the device demanding to be heard. His artificial pancreas... It's the CGM sensor, he whispered. My brother's diabetic. The footsteps stopped just on the other side of the door. I heard something, one of them said. Could have been anything, another replied. There's all kinds of machines and shit up here. They jiggled the closet's locked doorknob. The group huddled closer as a sudden crash fell upon the door, as though the soldier was attacking it with the butt of a rifle. 
He backed away and fired a shot which blasted through the door's small glass window, spattering glass fragments all over the room's interior. The only other girl gasped, and the rest made themselves smaller under the cover. The soldier tried to reach the doorknob from the tiny window, but could not. Ah! Cut my damn arm! Come on, there's no one in there, the other said. And with that, the soldiers thankfully moved on. This floor is clear, someone else called out. The group listened as their new enemies traipsed off the floor and out the building. Then the tsunami finally hit the shore. Sid scrambled out from under the cover and paced. This isn't right. I'm, I'm sure they're here to help. This is all a misunderstanding. You gotta let me out. Gil jumped up and grabbed Sid by the shoulders. Look at me, he said. But Sid couldn't. The world was spinning by way too fast to focus. You are safer here than out there. I promise you that. And just like that, the wave crested, then settled down. She finally looked at Gil. His peppery gray hair had flopped over one eye. His thick tortoiseshell frames askew. His jaunty little bow tie was almost completely sideways. She surveyed the others who were all watching her. Is it safe to let go? Gil gestured to his hands on her shoulders. She nodded, and he released her gently. Sorry, Sid whispered. Just a little anxiety gets away from me sometimes. Yes, well, we all have something, right? Let's just stay put for a bit and try to keep it down till we figure out a plan. They all agreed, and Sid found a space to settle in. It was still morning, but after everything, Sid felt like she needed to sleep. She covered herself with a tarp of some sort and laid down, and the rest followed suit. They stayed that way for hours because frankly, they were too terrified to move. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller.